Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I am Kion Wolf, at your service. May I take your coat? Very good. Oh, your car, yes. Our valet will keep your Rolls Royce in a secure, temperature-controlled facility underground. Now, please do allow me to guide you to the grand dining room. It's just past this painting by Renoir, and oh, this one by Frida Kahlo. And yes, this is a sculpture by Gehinde Wiley. But you probably already knew that. Ah, yes, here we are, the grand dining room. Allow me to seat you at the head of the table here for a three-course episode about butlers. In a little while, you'll meet a woman who's about to retire after over 35 years of experience as a butler and palace manager in the Middle East. But first, how does one become a butler? What is there, some sort of butler academy? Turns out, there most certainly is. May I present the founder and CEO of the International Butler Academy in the Netherlands, the Honorable Mr. Robert Wenekes. He is graciously joined by his executive head butler, Mr. Adam Shimko. Mr. Robert Wenekes, also pronounced Venekes, grew up in a family that worked in hospitality, but it wasn't until he visited a friend in England who was working as a butler that service called to him. Mr. Venicus learned the art and craft of butlerdom, and then one day he was offered an interview for a job serving a billionaire and his family in Seattle. So Mr. Venicus flew from England to the client's estate and was given only ten minutes to impress the man of the house. But right in the middle of the interview... His wife came in uh, through one of three kitchens in this gorgeous house, and she had a big shopping sack with her, one of those brown bags with, you know, cornflakes inside and whatever. And I saw she was struggling with the door. So I got up, I went over to her and I said to her, I said, allow me to assist you, madam. And so I grabbed her bag and she, I followed her through the kitchen. And then she said, you can put it right there. So I did. And I said, will there be anything else, madam? She said, no, that's fine. Fine. So I went back to him and he said, you're a rude son of a bitch. And I said, excuse me? He says, we're in the middle of a, of a job interview. You just get up. I said, well, sir, madam needed my assistance more than you did. And he said, yeah, you're right. You're right. Anyway, I got the job. <laughs> <laughs> um, for, oh, I had to go to Holland and tell my fiance, by the way, that we were moving to America because she had no clue. Uh, so I told her we were going to America. She was delighted, actually, in the end. And uh, and we moved. And that's how I, I began my career in, in service. Okay, so, Mr. Venicus, you started in 1999 the International Butler Academy. Why did you open this academy? What what hole were you filling that needed filled? Uh, oh, gosh, should I tell you the whole story? Um, 
But what happened was I, I was working as head author at the uh, American embassy in Germany, in Bonn at the time. And a uh, big job, by the way, the largest embassy in the world, uh, huge lunches, breakfast, dinners, uh, hotel guests. We had our own hotel. Uh, everybody and anybody who's anything in America who comes to Germany wants to stay there because it's fabulous. Anyway, after receiving a certificate for outstanding service uh, from the, the White House Communications Agency, uh, because I looked after uh, President Clinton, um, uh, he just become president. It was on his very first one of his very first trips uh, abroad. I was headhunted by a company to become the next head butler for an estate in the Middle East, and this was for a client with eighteen hundred staff in 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 his house. I mean, it's like what the hell you're talking about? There is such a place. Um, in fact, the estate is so big that under the main house there's a there's a shop. Uh, for the staff uh, where they can go shopping. They don't have to leave the estate uh, if they need toothpaste or cigarettes or whatever. Anyway, I, I interviewed for the job uh, on three separate occasions, and then I could not get my wife to agree that we should both move there. Uh, I, love this, I love the opportunity, and I love the money, and I love everything about that job. Uh, except perhaps the location, but my wife said, "Well, if you you want to take that job, you go ahead." But I'm not going. So, in the end, I declined the offer. The gentleman I interviewed with uh, requested that I assist him with finding a good butler for him, and uh, and I did. And he was so thankful. Now I'm going to skip a few things. He was so thankful that he gave me a hundred thousand dollars for as a thank you. And um, uh, when I got that, when I got that money. I just almost fell off my chair. I thought, what? I mean, this is what people are willing to pay to help them with securing, you know, a staff or or headhunting or whatever. So I, I, I then went to the Chamber of Commerce and uh, registered my own company, uh, Robert Renica's Recruitment. And I started recruiting butlers for, for clients from uh, first in the Middle East and later the rest of the world. And after a couple of years, four years almost, I did not have any more butlers available. I everybody I knew and everybody I didn't know, but who, who I, I was told was a butler somewhere, I'd taken them away from their job and placed them somewhere else. So uh, now I had a little crisis in my company. I have very good assignments. I worked for, at that time, worked for some of the most influential and wealthiest people in the world, but I had no butlers. So I then uh, went to England, did a bit of research there. There was one school there, which turned out to be awful. Uh, there was one school in America, in Denver, Colorado, uh, Mary Starkey uh, School, that I appreciated, but was not my thing. Uh, it was very American and very focused on management and not on service. Uh, with all due respect, by the way, because I have great respect for that school. But then I decided, you know what, if I can't find the butlers, I'm going to train them myself. So I founded the International Butler Academy, officially registered the company in 1999. We had our first training program in January of 2000, and the rest is history. When I think about a professional butler, I think about someone who is on time, respectful, meticulous, for some people, that comes easy. That's just part of their wiring. But for some people, they really have to learn it. Do you think someone can really learn it if it's not inherent in them? 
I think you can learn it. Um, uh, of course, there are many different types of personalities that are required for the job. I mean, one job requires this, another job requires that. The job that I had in, in I've had three major jobs as a butler. All three jobs required me to be a type A personality. Otherwise, people would have walked all over me. And uh, that was required for the job. I know a friend of mine who works in um, uh, for a royal family in the Middle East. He has a different personality. If you put him in front of the wallpaper, you don't see him anymore. Uh, he makes very, very good money, by the way. Uh, but he's literally paid sometimes, I think, for being there. He doesn't necessarily have to do anything. He just has to be with the family. And uh, because he's got such an enormous amount of staff around him, uh, and he doesn't even have to tell them what to do. They all know what to do. Uh, the family has uh, not only uh, people who do, for instance, laundry, but there's one person who does only the laundry for Mr. And they have one person who only does the laundry for Mrs. I mean, this is how far the, this goes. If I pretend to be the butler in my heart and mind, like in an alternate life or after this public radio career, I picture myself being formal, but I also picture myself being very nice to people and engaging. I can also see how that is not called for every time. Yeah. Well, if you work, you can imagine though, if you work for not a client, but if you work for Madonna, then you are a completely different person than if you work for Mick Jagger. I mean, and these are two people who are both exactly in the same type of business, but, but trust me, their butlers are very, very different and their jobs are very different as well. And therefore to, to, to a large extent requires a different personality. It is, that's why it is so incredibly important when you hire a butler that you know what you're doing. Not not just You don't go just to LinkedIn and type butler and here's 10 candidates and one of the 10 I'm going to hire. There's a reason why there are recruitment companies such as ours, because um, we also have our own recruitment company. If Because if you would hire us to find you the butler, we try to learn as much about you as, as we can. And if at all possible, in fact, I would like to go to your house. I would like to see your house. I would like to see if it's formal or informal. I'd like to see your art. I want to see if there's rubbish on 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 the ground. I want to see if there if there if there's in the kitchen if there are plates dirty in the corner somewhere. I mean, all these things. I mean, it sounds very strange, but all these things that I see and hear and listen to are very important for me to be able to place. Uh, a butler with you that suits you. Plus, don't forget, I don't mind if you are very um, specific then with me about your wishes. Not only will you tell me the type of personality that you're looking for, I don't mind if you tell me you want somebody who's black or you don't want somebody who's black. You want somebody who is very servile or you want somebody absolutely not servile. You want somebody who's gay or not gay. I mean, if you have somebody around you in such a private uh what do you call it private situation yeah. you want somebody that, that that absolutely connects with you and uh, that somebody that you enjoy being with and not just, i mean look at my job in when i was in america i traveled uh, one third of the time that i was there i traveled with my employer all over the world i mean we were with the two of us or more but certainly always with the two of us and uh, we spent so much time together and we argued together about stuff i mean because i'm i'm dutch i'm uh, i'm quite rather outspoken therefore 
and I'm very liberal, therefore, he was, of course, very Republican. I mean, we would have huge discussions, always with a great deal of respect, but I, I taught him a thing or two, trust me. It's funny because when you talk about people seeking different um, races to be their butlers, I, I'd been browsing the jobs at the Butler's Guild website to see what clients are looking for. And and they can be so specific. Like there's a position for house manager that says the butler has to be female, European, and there's a few other nationalities that would be okay. Now, to me, I, I read that and I go, I kind of contract and I go, they're seeking a certain race, but that is common. Yeah. Well, it's not so much common as it is. Uh, if you were looking for a husband, let's put it that way, let's say, or partner, then would you want somebody that this is how they look, this is what they feel like, this is what they smell like, and this is what they taste like? Because you're spending so much time with this person. Uh, uh, after all, this is going to be your life partner. Why? Why is it wrong that you want somebody, for instance, that is? I'm 65. If I would want to hire a butler, I would want somebody who is probably between 40 and 50. I think. I don't know, I think. Uh, so could I, in America, obviously I can't advertise that, I can't put it in a, in a newspaper because I get sued or somebody will get angry. I don't I don't give a shit, mind you, because this is what I want to hire. This person that I'm, I'm seeking, I'm very specific about that, just as I'm very specific about uh, my partner. Same thing. I don't see anything wrong with it, and I can certainly understand. Uh, sometimes you wonder, though, I remember one client telling me, he wants to hire a very ugly butler, and uh, uh, and and after thinking about it, uh, I said, oh, "Am I going to ask it?" I mean, while I'm talking, I'm thinking, "Should I ask him why? Should I ask him why?" Yeah. So, sir, would you kindly tell me why you want an ugly butler? He says, "Well, I'm very jealous. I don't want my I don't want to go to to my office and worry about my butler uh, getting in the sack with my with my wife." He said, "That's it." He said, it's probably not going to happen, but just in case it does, I want somebody who simply was very, very ugly. So that's where that's when I introduced Adam to him, you see. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. What a transition. Uh, Adam, let's back up. How did you get into all this? Um, for myself, I really found uh, a love for service. I worked at a country club in uh, northeastern Ohio. And uh, you have this level of um, what do you call it? like it's semi-private. It's it's a country club, so it's a private club, um, but you are still looking after a legion of people. You know, a number, a large number of people. And uh, during my time there, I really found that love for service and just taking care of people in a more personal way. Because you know, you learn stuff about these people and their families, and and how to make their day a little bit better and a little bit brighter. Um, and then uh, it, it just so happened that my mentor there uh, left. He moved on to his next thing. I wanted the position uh, that he had, and they gave it to somebody else. And so I said to myself, well, I need to get training to become the best at what I do so that when I go for something, nobody will, uh, they will just look at my resume. They'll look at me and go, this is the guy we want. Uh, so I looked for the best school I could possibly find and in the, the highest level of service you can go, which in my mind is being a butler. And I found the International Butler Academy and came. It is extremely difficult. It is, it is a challenge. But because of that, at the end of this challenge, 
you feel so accomplished that you have done this thing. You have climbed the Mount Everest and uh, you can do it. So you can do anything is what you feel like. Um, and so then uh, I, I had a few months back in the U.S. and I came back uh, as an intern. During that time, I was asked to stay as the uh, the head butler. And then I was here for uh, roughly two years. Um, and then I went back to the U.S. Uh, I was working back at that old country club, which is a, a good sign that I did something right along the way. Um, but as the food and beverage director this time, and uh, then Mr. Wenicus, um I, I got in contact with me to ask me to come back as the uh, head butler, and I gladly joined. It took me about 24 hours to completely come to a decision. Uh, like, do I want to do this? There's a lot of potential issues, this, that, and the other. And I said, no, I really want to work with Mr. Wenicus. Uh, and so I came back. When you were going through the academy, Adam, what was the most difficult part? So the most difficult thing for me uh, then and probably now still has been that sometimes you just need to shut up and nod your head and say, yes, sir, or yes, madam. And that's it. And not to fight, not to argue, not to get into it, because that's probably not the time with, if you're getting talked to or yelled at. It's not the time to start a discussion because it's not necessarily the discussion and to remember that you are in that moment, you are a servant in the house, right? You are not the child or you are not the equal, right? You are somebody working for that person. Um, and that's probably been the most difficult uh, aspect, I think, of anything. Because the rest of it is, you know, uh, the physical skills or, or scheduling or even begrudgingly writing emails, all of those things you can take care of. But the qualities uh, of a butler to just sometimes smile and nod and just let your principal vent uh, or or be upset or angry. Even if it's not entirely your fault, it's your fault because you are responsible for taking care of the house and the home and everything. So that's the challenge, I think. That was the voice of Mr. Adam Shimko. He is the executive head butler of the International Butler Academy in the Netherlands. And you also heard from Mr. Robert Wenekes, the Academy's founder and CEO. When we get back, being a butler can be extremely lucrative in many ways. Is that all they're in it for? You do it because you love it uh, and because you love being of service and just making somebody stay a little bit brighter. Plus, conversations with a woman on entering the man's world of palace management. Yes, there are men perhaps controlling the purse strings, but the women run the show. I'm Kion Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me, milady. By heck, by George, by Joe, by Jeeves, by Jeeves, by Jeeves, by Jeeves, by Jeeves. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. 
So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf at your service. Is this place for you? Indeed, no, sir. I'm merely a humble butler. What exactly do you do? I battle, sir. That was from the movie Clue, starring Martin Mull as Colonel Mustard and Tim Curry as Wadsworth, who was a butler. And that is the job we're exploring the ins and outs of today. Later, you'll meet a woman who's a palace manager for an estate in the Middle East. But right now, we're getting to know the founder and CEO of the International Butler Academy, Mr. Robert Wenikus, and his executive head butler, Mr. Adam Shimko. The Academy is the largest private residence in the Netherlands. It's a former monastery built in 1892, and it has 135 rooms that offer all sorts of conditions in which one may learn to buttle, such as four kitchens, a cigar room, a porcelain room, a candle room, a ballroom, a chapel, a gymnasium, and a royal suite. Training takes 10 weeks, covers 800 curriculum hours, and covers all the essential duties of a butler, personal assistant, valet, house, and estate manager. A budding butler will spend a little over $16,000 for the experience, which includes a most beautiful room and board. And free Wi-Fi, of course. Let's get back to our conversation. Mr. Shimko, you have a background as a performer before getting into all of this. How would how much would you say that that time as a performer has informed your work as a butler? I would say it's probably the best skill set that I have coming in. Um, there's a lot of things that I I think I'm decent at, um, but having a performance background, understanding that essentially from the moment that you step out, at the moment that I step out of my room uh, on the day to the t- point that I go back, that I'm on stage. It doesn't always work. Uh, there's plenty of times where you relax and you shouldn't have, but um, really being the butler is a bit of doing what people expect a butler to do, acting a way in which they expect a butler to act, speaking in a certain way. A big part of this is money. What would you say the influences of money in terms of your choice to do this work? Like if you were paid half of what you make, would you still do it? Well, I can say that I would do the work that I do because I love doing the work that I do. It's if you are in a decent financial position, you do it because you love it uh, and because you love being of service and just making somebody stay a little bit brighter. Mr. Venicus? For me, the money was never uh, an issue, not at all. I, I, I do believe that as a butler, you get to enjoy life almost as much as your employer. I remember one day in America, because we had a grand estate, when my, my employer came home 
in a in a rather foul mood, which was very unusual. So and I said, "What's wrong?" And and he said, "Well, today this happened, that happened. Oh, by the way, I also lost this much money. I won't say how much, but it was extraordinary." And um, when he was done rambling on our way, we walked from from his roles to with the chauffeur to the main house. Uh, he said, uh, "Oh, by the way, how was your day?" I said, "Well, sir, actually, I've had a I've had a marvelous day." I said, I, "This morning, um, uh, Madam, his wife took me to breakfast." Uh, it was a working breakfast because she had a big party coming up that I was organizing for her. I said, and then this afternoon I had lunch with a catering lady. Then and then I came home early, and I was feel, feeling a little bit dozy, so I went swimming uh, together with my wife. And then afterwards we played tennis, and I just had a shower. And now I'm welcoming you home. And he said, "You're enjoying my money more than than I do." I said, yeah, I, I'm sorry, sir, but yes, uh, you're absolutely right." So, um, so it's not just. It's certainly not just a salary. It is a certain lifestyle. But for me, it was the beauty of, of the life itself and had nothing to do with the money. Now, the money is good, uh, uh, mainly because you work tremendous hours. I mean, the average working week for a buffer is 60 hours, easy. But for the rest, I mean, I had my days off, had my vacations. And the 24-7 the is on paper, that is true, but it stands for a certain amount of flexibility that is required of you. It does not mean that your employer is going to call you at three o'clock in the morning because he wants a glass of water. That only happens in the movies. <laughs> what movie reflects Butler's best? Because we, we talked about Clue uh, and, and I'm, there's got to be other ones. It, that Anything that totally nailed what it means to be a butler. Well, there's a, there's a British, old British series, which is called uh, You Rang My Lord. You rang my lord, and it's a comedy series, typically British. But uh, I thought about that a long time ago. That that really comes close to the real life as much as you could possibly think. It's not a movie; it's a series. You rang my lord. If you get a chance to watch it, you should because it's hilarious. You rang my lord, Mister Twelve Trees. Mr. Stokes says, would you mind hurrying up with the eggs? I'm coming as fast as I can, Ivy. And tell Mr. Twelvetrees not to forget to flick the fat over the top. His lordship does not like his eggs runny. Oh, and he says, don't forget to flick the fat over the top. I know perfectly well how his lordship likes his eggs. <laughs> Have you ever gotten really attached to an employer? And for whatever reason, it was time to move on. How was that for you? It's, uh, I, I got attached to all my employers, uh, not only the employers, including the whole family. I said uh, recently, I said to Adam, isn't it terrible that we, we, we here, we form, for instance, with the students when they come for a training program, we form one big family. And, uh, and after a while, uh, everybody goes their own way. You, you, and there's a good chance you never see any of them uh, anymore, ever. And that always hurts me. And I'm I'm the type of person I would I would love it if people who come into your life stay in your life. Unfortunately, that's not possible. And uh, but I I cared a great deal for my employers. In fact, I there was one employer is in his whole family that I absolutely loved, and I know they love me, and they still do. And uh, it's a relationship that is very special, um, mind you. I earned that love and 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 respect. I I knew my role in that household uh, very much. I knew that at some 
moments I was a mere servant, uh, but for the most part, I was part of the family. And I, I cherished uh, the job and I cherished the family very, very much. Well, Mr. Robert Venicus, Mr. Adam Shimko, thank you so much for talking with me. Our pleasure. It's been our pleasure. Thank you. By the way, one, one, one small, small thing. Adam uh, happens to be one of the best bufflers I have ever come across, and uh, which is a huge compliment to him because I've, I've come across thousands of bufflers in my lifetime, and he is, he is by far one of the very, very best. What makes Adam one of the best? He, uh, Adam understands the situation when he walks into it. He has a great feeling for other people. He's very, very compassionate. And last but not least, I trust him with my life. And Adam, you're just getting started. Uh, well, yes and, and no, right? Because there's different chapters in your life. This uh, this is a chapter that for me uh, comes to uh, is coming to an end working here at Tiba. But the the amount of growth I have had, me. You talk about employers, <clears throat> sorry, and yes, you build friendships. All right, quit while, it, quit while you're ahead. It can all be right. very difficult to walk away from them, but um, we all have to do these these things, and sometimes life comes at you, and you must move forward. But um, it has been a, a pleasure and an honor, and. Uh, I have made the best decision of my life by coming back here. You may even banks, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve yes, somebody. you're gonna have to serve somebody. serve somebody. Now, at the International Butler Academy, there tend to be slightly more male than female students, but palace managers out in the world? They tend to be overwhelmingly male, which is why we wanted to speak with Marsha. We're using her first name to protect her and her employer's identity. Marsha has been in the butler industry for more than 35 years, largely managing big estates. Originally from Chicago, Marsha has been based in the Middle East for a long time. Why? That is primarily because they have palace managers that are female. And yes, there are men perhaps controlling the purse strings, but the women run the show. And there are very few of us there that do these high-end palaces. So I work primarily for royal families throughout the Middle East, and they're very large properties, and they are run like clockwork. So I have departments, I have butler staff, housekeeping, culinary, personal assistants, drivers. I'm in charge of, usually of exterior of the house and any renovations. And these are not insignificant properties. And then oftentimes I'm managing multiple properties. I've managed up to seven. <laughs> Uh, where I have to travel around and make sure the staff is doing things properly. That's kind of what I've been doing <laughs> in the past several years. 
What would you say is the learning curve in terms of, you know, we're in the Middle East, this is royalty, this is so much money. You know, I, I in my mind, I think if I was dropped into this, which of course I never would be, I, I would imagine that I would make a ton of mistakes and I would be trying to learn very quickly. Um, but that wasn't your path. You know, you, you learned as you went. What would you say is the learning curve coming from? Because you grew up in Chicago, right? Right. I grew up outside of Chicago. It's a little bit different than where you're at right now. Yeah, very different. Um, you know, look, I grew up in a pretty well-to-do family. We had household staff, not immune to a lot of this world, not the royal world by any means, but I'm always looking for a challenge. And it was really interesting culturally. I really love the culture in the Middle East. It's a family-oriented situation. And they are very close with everyone in their family. They want someone to come in and take care of things. They don't want to have to worry about the toilet overflowing and, you know, the service or the flowers or whatever it might be, the renovations that are never ending, uh, <laughs> the, the chef in the kitchen throwing pots and pans. They don't want to have to think about it. They just want to get up, go about their day, raise their children and have peace. When I think about the kind of work you do, I immediately imagine you as a little kid also feeling like you want to help. You want to learn. You like challenges. Would you say that your personality has always suited the kind of work you do now? Or have you grown into it because of what the job is calling you to do? I'd say um, the job requires you to be really organized and service-oriented, a service mindset. So you want to help people, but you also have to know the details and you have to be able to work with all levels of society. And that's the fun part. That's the really interesting part. Because not only am I dealing with royal families and diplomats and celebrities often, I'm also dealing with staff that are coming from other countries that are coming from very poor backgrounds that can barely speak English. So those are the kind of things that uh, I grew into in some ways as well. If I were to step in your shoes for a day, and I can see some overlap between a palace manager and a public radio host in the sense that you and I have to be really interested in everything and become really proficient in a topic in a very short amount of time. So if I were to step into your shoes for a day, what do you think would surprise me most? Oh. Probably the amount of detail and coordination that I have to do to keep things running smoothly because it is the Middle East, so things don't run on time, and therefore you have to do a lot of coordination, a lot of thinking on your feet. You have to, just like you do, you have to just have lots of balls in the air and think on your feet and quickly do a search online to figure something out and find a vendor who might be available right now to come and help you. <laughs> you would be surprised. I've had to learn how 
water treatment plants work on an island. So that's always a challenge, you know, for the day of, uh oh, the filtration's down and this pipe isn't working. And how do you learn that? <laughs> Master Googler, have you ever had a request from an employer where you felt a knot in your stomach, like maybe it wasn't aligned with your values? All the time. Can you give me some examples? <laughs> well, some of it's tricky because um, I don't want to offend people. But because my clients are uber wealthy, the amount of waste I see is tricky for me. So in my own way, I try to do what I can within the properties to prevent that kind of thing, whether it's after a dinner party, letting all the, the caterers or the helpers or the staff feast out and enjoy the leftovers. Um, it is very difficult to see the, uh, the super yacht sitting at the pier for nine months of the year and guzzling gasoline because it has to run all day. So the, it, it is tricky there. <laughs> Have you ever had to decline a request? Like just flat out say, no, I'm not doing this. I usually delegate those. <laughs> there are things that you don't want to do for sure. You know, I've had to go to spas with my clients and, you know, they'll say, can you come inside while I have this treatment done? And I'll have to say, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the line I'm not crossing with you. I wonder when you are interacting with the people who employ you, how much are you you and how much are you who they need you to be? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, well, I think when you first get to know your client, you are who they need you to be. And, you know, I'm always very diplomatic and careful. Um, I'm, I'm very businesslike. But over time, you do develop these relationships where you can joke about things, where you can have a regular employee-employer relationship. You know, how's your family? You know, how is your vacation? But initially... You don't cross lines like that, you know, the personal information. Have you ever gotten really, really, really attached, like unexpectedly attached to the people that you work for? All the time. All the time. I do. Uh, I was very, very fond of um, some people in uh, the UAE and just was... Sorry that, you know, I moved on, to be honest. In retrospect, I should have just stayed there for most of my career. They were just lovely. That was Marsha. She's been in the butler and house management industry for more than 35 years. She's currently based in a palace in the Middle East. After the break, what personality traits does Marsha think most employers are looking for in a butler? Demure quiet in the background. That's what everyone wants. That's my job, too, to be in the background. I'm Kion Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back, my lord. 
This is Audacious. I'm Kion Wolf at your service as we explore the world of butlers. Marsha, who's only using her first name to protect her privacy, is nearing retirement after more than 35 years of service. She's been a chef, a butler, and a palace manager in the Middle East. Back to our conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts about women as butlers and in the more powerful role that you're in now. I think many people, when they think about this work, they don't necessarily think about women. What are your thoughts on that? I have to say, when I first started private chefing, now I'm talking many, many years ago, there were no, or very, in America, very few women butlers. It's just not known. Not at all. Um, it's a man's world. In Europe, it's still a man's world. Uh, but that is a barrier. Maybe less so now. It's um, a little easier in America to find female butlers and female house managers. But I think the preference still is male. Definitely in Europe, it's male. How much do you think that holds you back or has held you back? Do you think that if we were live if you were coming up now, like if you were a 21 year old private chef, you now that you would have sort of a faster track towards the top of this industry? Or? Oh, definitely. I think there is a, a big difference now than there was. You have to remember before there wasn't all this money afloat everywhere in the world. So it was old families that had their butlers for a lifetime and had their chefs and drivers. And now it's a lot of new money. It's a lot of change. And it is a very different world, for sure. A lot of the people who are becoming manager, house managers, they have MBAs. They have advanced degrees because these are very complex situations and houses and properties to deal with. Do you now, or do you think you will someday, have a staff of your own, a personal staff of your own? <laughs> In my own home? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I do have a house cleaner. <laughs> No, no. I like, you know, I like puttering along and, you know, I live modestly. I'm, you know, not that type of person. I have obviously nice clothes in my closet and some nice watches, but <laughs> that that's, yeah, no. And you sound, you know, you and I are just meeting. I don't, I don't really know you at all, but you sound like a peaceful person. You sound like a happy person. Um, you sound like you are doing work that's meaningful to you and you can't really mask much more than that out of a lifetime. I wonder what more would you want out of this work? I'm actually probably coming to the end of my career. In fact, uh, that it, age is a barrier in what I do. So I am a very calm, peaceful person. And I think that has been my biggest positive in a job that I am even tempered and kind of can go with the flow because it's the end of my career. You know, I have many amazing memories and 
That's good enough. That's good enough. You had mentioned that age is a barrier in this work. Definitely. So part of me feels like, wait, wouldn't the older you are, the better you? Because you're, you've been, you've seen more, you've experienced more, you've got a longer resume, more experience. What do you mean by age being a barrier? Quite honestly, uh, after the age of, I'd say, 45, now I'm not sure about America anymore because I haven't lived there in so long, but... I'm not either. <laughs> <laughs> but looks are important. You, you know, if you start having some gray hairs, or some wrinkles, appearance is key. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, particularly a woman. It's frowned on to, you're lucky to get a job after 50. You make me think about how there's, there's this website, the Butler's Guild website, and you can see what people are looking for. Right. And there are people who are asking for certain genders, right. certain races, right. certain ages, yes, and certain looks altogether. And there's a part of me that contracts about that because it shouldn't matter. I mean, this shouldn't matter, right? And at the same time, like... In this world, it most certainly does. It does. There's no chance, um, I hate to say it, if you're uh, overweight, unlikely you're going to get a job, except in the kitchen. You know, overweight chef is acceptable. <laughs> Sad but true. Um, yeah, I haven't met a black butler in years. Hate to say that. Uh, you know, those are the things my employers would always say. Mm, I want this type of person in my property. Always. Always. What was that type of person? Well, <laughs> it's usually um, demure, quiet in the background. That's what everyone wants. That's my job, too, to be in the background. It's any butler, house manager in the background, leading, running things. I think about the people who are going to be hearing our conversation and uh, they they feel like, oh, my gosh, I have this sensibility about myself. You know, maybe I've been working in food service or maybe, you know, I've I've just this has been sort of simmering. But I never thought being a butler, being a manager of a palace would be even an option for me. And so. They're thinking, maybe I can get started into this. I know there's not one way. And of course, there's the academy uh, in, the, in the Netherlands. But for those who maybe could use a boost or maybe help identifying like, yes, this is for me, what would you say to them? I would say it is not glamorous. I mean, when you're starting out, I can't tell you the number of toilets I've had to fix. You know, this is not glamorous work. Sure, on the outside, it looks great, but you're getting your hands dirty and you're schlepping and it's hard physical work. It's hard mental work, too. But, um, you know, if someone's really interested, look at some of these academies and talk to them. Perhaps even go out and... Um, I don't know, do some service work for a catering company. You'll go into somebody's home. You'll see what it's like. That should you know, clue you in because as a manager, you're going to be serving as well. You know, you never know what you're going to be asked to do and you need to know how to do these things. It's hard work. It's hard work. 
And if you were able to go back in time to Marsha just stepping out of the kitchen and into this broader world, what would you say to her? Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Are you crazy? (laughs) I don't know. Um, You know, I didn't know what I was getting into. I uh, leaped at a chance, didn't really know that it would turn into a career. I thought I would be running my own catering kitchen and having my own business, but this has been better for me. Sounds like it. Well, Marsha, I am so grateful you spoke with me and congratulations on your upcoming retirement. Thank you so much for talking with me. Sure. Thank you. Appreciate it. Audacious is always lovingly produced by Khalil Rahman, Jessica Severin Martinez, Meg Fitzgerald, Meg Dalton, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, with help from our courageous interns, Letitia Peters and Joey Morgan. Very special thanks this week to Sebastian Hirsch at the Butler For You Agency for connecting us with Marsha, and utmost thanks to 12-year-old Sophia Martinez for asking about butlers and inspiring us to do this whole show. People of any age are welcome to send us show ideas, audacious, at ctpublic.org. If you liked this episode about serving wealthy people, subscribe to our podcast and you'll find one we did about niche therapists, including one whose clients are all in the 1%. And if you're longing to reminisce about the formerly super wealthy cast of characters on Schitt's Creek, listen to the episode we did featuring the costume designer for the show, She talks about the Moira Rose outfit that she is most proud of. And the wigs. She talks about the wigs. Just search Audacious with Kion Wolf in your favorite podcast app and enjoy. Stay in touch with me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Kion Wolf. And thank you so very much for listening. (laughs) 